Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. What a beautiful spring day it is. What a great day to serve the Lord. We are all still rejoicing in the wonderful resurrection season we have, the great dramatic production, and then last service, last week services. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how powerful, how wonderful. And I think we could all say, to God be the glory. Say that with me. To God be the glory. Yes. Well, we're glad you're in the house today. And if for some reason you weren't able to be with us here today, please know we can't wait to see you. And we hope you're feeling okay. We'll be praying for you. We love you. Can't wait to see you. Well, it is a joy to be back in our series now. Commands of Christ. The commands of Christ. A job, any job, is not merely a job. A career is not just a path of training. A group of children, whether it be a class or a family, friendships, are not simply relationships. No, in each case, they are an opportunity to make an impact on another person. And everybody actually has more influence and impact than you might realize. Best-selling author and international speaker, president of Growing Leaders, Tim Elmore, says, sociologists tell us that even the most introverted of people, listen, even the most introverted of people will influence 10,000 others in an average lifetime. In my case, that's just my family. Wow, imagine that. Imagine how many people you have knowingly and most likely unknowingly influenced in your life. Every person you come in contact with, whether in person or online or over the telephone, actually every person you come in contact with is impacted in some way. For example, if you hold the door open for someone, that has impact. If you compliment a coworker on their performance, you have had an impact on that person, and in that regard, you are an influencer. Now, the term influencer, and that's our title this morning, Six Commandments of Influencers, The term influencer actually is about people in social media who have built up a reputation for their knowledge or their expertise on a certain topic, and they hold great sway over certain groups. It really became a thing in 2009, and that was the year when there was a huge influx of bloggers and YouTubers like Alfie Deus, Zoella, never heard of any of these people, Tanya Burr. Here's a good one. Pew Diaper. They took the world by storm, and they kick-started what was known as the influencer phenomenon. Now everybody's an influencer. 
Now, this morning, you may not be a blogger or a vlogger, but we all impact others, often without realizing it. I guess the question we're asking this morning is, are you making a positive impact, influence, impression, or a negative one? Are you realizing that your actions, even the most subtle, and your words, are you realizing that they matter? Christian author John Maxwell says wisely, when you live each day with intentionality, there's almost no limit to what you can do. Now in today's powerful passage, the great apostle Paul is writing to his young minister friend, and he's pointing out six commandments that every influencer, and that's all of us, must follow. Influence. Aren't we grateful for the impact the Bible has on our world? Many have heard, perhaps, of the elderly Christian lady who was asleep in bed one night. She was awakened by a strange noise from the living room. Cautiously, she walked in, only to discover a burglar in the process of stealing her stereo. Overcome with fear, she whispered a desperate prayer. Jesus, help me. The burglar heard her, started towards her, and without a thought, she put up her hand and she shouted her favorite scriptural reference, Acts 2.38. The burglar immediately froze. The lady dialed 911, and within minutes, the police were on the scene and took the scared burglar into custody, took him down to the police station. They were questioning him, and one of the detectives said, I'm really curious. You could have easily overpowered her or ran and got out of the way. Why would you stay frozen in one spot? The burglar answered, man, that old lady was crazy. She was packing an axe in 238, she said. You wouldn't have moved either. (laughs) Well, this morning our passage is not on Acts 238, but it is on 1 Timothy 4. And I'm sure you'll get a bang out of it. So let's pray. Let's ask God's help this morning. Father, we thank you for this great passage. And Lord, honestly, I feel somewhat overwhelmed. Lord, there's so much material, so much good things I feel like that should be deposited in these precious brothers and sisters. Now, Lord, would you just uh, help it to go uh, well? Help my mind to stay focused and my spirit to be strong in you. And I pray the same for each here. Lord, we would not only get inside of us, but we would receive it down deep in our soul. And Lord, may it make a difference in our lives. The material, Lord, I know in this one message could transform marriages, lives, really even a nation. And I pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. I do hope you'll listen. Please, don't let your mind wander today. There's so much. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us that public reading of the Bible is a very real part of corporate worship. And so, we're going to do that. In fact, the very passage says that. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you're not already there. 1 Timothy 4, and we're going to read just three verses, verse 11, 12, and 13. All right, Ready? Begin. Let's read these together. These things command and teach. 
Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus are all part of Paul's final series of letters, known as epistles. An epistle is not the wife of an apostle. They are referred to commonly as pastoral epistles. They are both pastoral and they are practical. They are great advice, and in this case, from an aging apostle, a great apostle, to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, who was serving as the senior pastor, the lead pastor in Ephesus. Paul had met him in Asia Minor a decade or so earlier. He was impressed with his spiritual qualities, and Timothy had become an associate with him on his second missionary journey. In 1 Timothy, he's telling his associate that if you're going to be, in this passage, if you're going to be effective as an influencer, the single greatest tool of spiritual leadership is the power of an exemplary life. It is the foundation of your believability. Don't expect that anybody's going to receive anything if you're not doing what you say. An old Puritan said it this way, teaching is like putting nails in the wood. Example is like hammering them deep. Now, there are six commands, oftentimes just kind of lost in the verse there. We just read through it. But that's one of the wonderful things about church and preaching because we get a chance to kind of uh, bring that all out. But first, I want some prefacing thoughts as we look at this verse. Let's go to verse 12 again. Notice in verse 12, he says to Timothy, I want you to be an excellent minister. I want you to really knock the ball out of the park. So he said, let no man. Let no man. He starts off by saying, let no man. This is a comprehensive statement, meaning let no man, let no woman. And by the way, yes, that's all the sexes or genders there are, man and woman. You can call a duck a chicken, but that doesn't mean it's going to cackle. Notice what he said. Let uh, First of all, he said, let no man. So he said, I want, no matter who you're dealing with, let none of them despise, that means to look down, on your youth. Now, how are you going to ensure that nobody has a bad word about your faith? Well, by being a good example good example of what? Of what the Bible means, or we might say of what Jesus would do. You'd say, what would Jesus do? Well, we can read the Bible, and that's good, great, important, wise, study the Bible. But one of the best ways to be influenced by the Bible is to be influenced by a Christ-like person. And that's the interesting thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. I've always loved this take this verse. Here's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be followers of Christ? No. <laughs> Interestingly. He said, I want you to follow me. But then he added, here's the caveat, even as 
I also am of Christ. I want you to watch what I do. I want you to listen to what I say. I want you to watch my lifestyle. Wow, wouldn't that be something to tell somebody? Look, I want you to watch everything I do, everything I say. I want you to watch how I act, and I want you to copy that. Now, just so we're clear, he wasn't saying he was perfect. He wasn't saying he was something special. He wasn't saying that he always did everything right. He was just simply saying, yes, I'm going to blow it once in a while, but I will tell you this. Absolutely, 100%, my eyes are focused on Jesus Christ. And if I blow it all, I'll make it right. Basically, he told his young colleague, he said, look, you're going to have to earn your respect there with those people in Ephesus. And he points out that there is a certain amount of automatic respect that comes with gray hair. But he said, unfortunately, you don't have that yet. Because he says, I want anybody to despise your youth. So he points out that Timothy was young. You'd say, well, wow, how old was Timothy? Probably in his late 30s. You'd say, what? That's young? Well, interestingly... You remember now, this is during the second journey. He had already met Timothy in the first journey when he was probably in his mid-twenties. And so, uh, this was in his late thirties. He might have not even been forty for sure. Forty was the breaking point between what people would consider as older and maybe a younger man. But the truth is, whether we're 12 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 90, it makes no difference. God calls on us to be an influencer. If we're here on this earth, if God's left us here, then He's got a mission for us to influence somebody. And it might be by some little small action or a small word, but other times it can have a huge influence. Notice the next little part. It says, but be. That's what we've been talking about for several Sundays now, to be something. That is the Greek word ginomai. It means to make to become. It doesn't mean sit there and be it, as in just passively think that it's you're there. No, it says make it to become. It's something you do. Be ginomai. Be thou. This is on you, Timothy. I can't do this for you. Be thou an example. Be a influencer. Take a proactive bent towards life. Now, what does the word example mean? It is the Greek word tupos, T-U-P-O-S, in the English rendering. It is meaning a visible mark made by a strike or a blow from an instrument. Literally means an impression. Good word, isn't it? An impression. That's where we get our concept of an impact or influence. It is the exact same word as used in John chapter 20 and verse 25. Thomas, as you remember, doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he exclaimed, except I see in his hands the print, the tupas, of the nails. He said, I want to see the impression. I want to see that which was left in his hands. Example, impression. Now, the impression we want to leave on others may not be on their hands, but on their mind and on their heart. 
being an influencer. How do we do that? Well, there are six commandments that every influencer should follow. And it's kind of tucked in this verse. And sometimes we just kind of speed through it. But let's take a moment to really look through those. And you could expand it even more. But we'll just kind of take a shot at it this morning. Verse 12. Let no man, first of all, the first thing you should do is to watch your language. Watch your language. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And we might say not only of believers, but for unbelievers. In word. It means just what it says. Our speaking, our talking, our verbal communication. People that want to make a difference for Jesus watch their language. They're careful about their language. To me, one of the most helpful passages over the years has been in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. In the course of being a people person and in the ministry, I deal with all kinds of people at all kinds of situations and at all kinds of situations and times. Like this morning, it's 6 a.m. in the parking lot out here. Interesting. But it's you just never know who you're going to meet, who or where or when. It reminds us that there are different deeds for different speeds and different needs. Now, verse 14, I want you to look with me in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. This has been a great passage for me. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. Now the overarching plan is that last little sentence, be patient towards all men, means all people. Everybody's at a different stage in life. There are different places in their life, and they all have unique needs. Patience is necessary. And this virtue not only helps them, it helps us. Austrian poet Maria Rilke said, If you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. Notice the first part. Warn the unruly. And so... If you want to make a difference with your language, warn the unruly. Unfortunately, these are people we come into contact with who do know better. They should do better because of that. They're often good-willed people, even believers, but that have gotten off pace somewhere. And they need a reset. We don't have to be nasty, but those, and listen closely, those that are closest to them. I don't advise doing this unless you're closest to them. But those closest to them and in private... That means one-on-one need to share concerns. Now then there are those who are willingly on a very dark path. When Jesus dealt with very difficult people, he responded in different ways. Let me give you a few ways that Jesus wisely responded to difficult people, those who are the unruly. He responded with questions. They would kind of say their thing to get a response or whatever, you know, to get a reaction. And Jesus, instead of diving into it, he would then ask a question back. Other times, he asked them to read the scriptures or to reread them. You remember, he talked to some fake religionists, and he told them, he said, Have you not read? (laughs) What that means is, I know you've read, but I don't think you've really read it. And to reread the scriptures, and you might get some additional information. Sometimes Jesus just flat ignored people. You may remember the time when he ticked off all of his former neighbors and his friends in his hometown of Nazareth. 
Well, they got so worked up about Jesus' actions, they decided they were going to toss him off a cliff. Jesus realized there was no reasoning with these people, and he just walks right through the crowd. He just ignores them and goes on about his business. And so sometimes the warning comes in different forms. Then not only are we to warn the unruly, we are to comfort the feeble-minded. The feeble-minded are those who have lost heart. They're discouraged, maybe fearful. Maybe they've had a recent loss or they're looking at a potential impending loss. Or simply, they're just going through some times of adversity. Some encouraging words can be helpful, a few encouraging words. This is not the time to preach your latest eight-hour sermon. But often the best way forward is what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with them who rejoice. And that's not always easy either, just saying, Lord, boy, when someone gets blessed, just be happy for them. Don't have to give any cautions, just say, I am happy for you. But then it says, weep with them that weep. Now, I will tell you, that's actually harder than you might imagine. Yet, surprisingly, some of the best words we can give somebody are not verbal. But communication that speak loudly, but it might simply be a hug. Somebody that just needs some extra loving care. Warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, and then support the weak. When you see someone struggling with a load, you see someone that's holding something, what do you do? Well, you go and help them with that burden. You help them at the other end of the load. Well, that can have many pragmatic applications, but maybe the greatest would simply to be help them lift the load through words of prayer, sincere prayer. You know, Jesus was a master at supporting the weak. He chatted with children. He valued and listened to women. He sat at the well and just chatted with a woman when nobody, no other man would probably have done that. He spoke to the untouchables, the lepers. Jesus had such great compassion, a great example to us. I remember reading what Charles Swindoll said in a book that he had written, compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. That's actually the word compassion, co-passion. Yes, friend, let's try to speak kind words to everybody. Everybody's having a tough day. There are six commands for influencers. First of all, watch your language. Number two, watch your lifestyle. Not only should we be a good example, not only should we remember that in our influencing we have a big impact with our lips, but also with our lifestyle. Look what it says. Verse 12, again, Let no man despise thy youth, be an example of believers in word, in conversation. Conversation. The word there simply means conduct or behavior. Our biblical lifestyle is one who lives out those principles found in Scripture, those of godliness. And they do so consistently, and they do so in every area of their life. It is the things you do. It's the places you go. It's the things you possess. It's the way you spend your life. 
lifestyle is so loud of a sermon that it will either overpower or it will come alongside what you say. Some clever person, and I always love it, they said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And that's exactly what we are to remember, that our lifestyle speaks very loudly. Paul's point is the exact same in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, you are now a Christian. And remember in Ephesus, there was so much demonic activity, so much false religion. It was just a crazy place to live. It would be like, uh, almost like Corinth or like our San Francisco or some big city like New York or something. I mean, it was a crazy place. And Paul said, you are a changed person. And so look what he says. You've not just changed your mind, you've changed your whole lifestyle. Ephesians chapter 4, let's go through these verses, they're powerful. Ephesians 4 verse 22, that ye put off, let it go. Come on now, you're different. Just let all that bad stuff, all that past stuff go. Concerning the former conversation, there's that word again, lifestyle. Let your old lifestyle just melt away. The old man, the old way of life. That's the way I used to do things. Which is corrupt. Just so we're clear, that means rotten, vile. Paul said, look, that old stuff, living like the world, it's rotten. It is according to deceitful lusts. It is what really motivates it and energizes. That's what's energizing what's going on in the world then and now. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That little chorus we used to sing, get the new look from the old book. Get the new look from the old book. That's the Bible. Verse 24, and that she put on the new man, and which is after God. It's created in righteousness and true holiness. It's created. The Holy Spirit birthed in you. And then that lifestyle that's like Christ. Paul said, I want you to make every effort every day to change your life. I want your routines to be different. How have you changed lately, friends? Have you changed for the better? I mean, have you changed better for Christ? What have we done differently? We're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be growing, Paul said. Make an effort to change your daily, your weekly routine now that you're a believer. Verse 25, how do you do that? He said, well, first of all, you can start by putting away lying. No more lies. Pure and simple. Don't read lies. Don't accept lies. Don't listen to lies via music that's lying. That was the other day I was thinking. I was in some grocery store, I think it was, or a department store or something. But anyway, the, I don't usually listen to the words. Seems like, but somehow they were coming in my ear this time. I was thinking, the whole time I was in that store, I was being lied to. Because every one of those songs was lying. They were talking about, you know, the, the love, of the fun of, you know, going out and having an affair or whatever. I mean, they said a lot better than that. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, that's lying. They're lying about this. So that entire, whatever, 15, 20 minutes I was there, they were, I was being lied to. I can only imagine working in that environment all day long. My heart hurts for our people who have to do that. 
Thank God you've been able to kind of get that out of your mind. But don't listen to lies in music. And don't listen to lies via videos. Don't listen to lies from some blogger. Stop listening to lies. Put it away. Everything you can do to get the lies out. Because here's what we don't know is even subtly it's working on us. Then, in turn, speak every man the truth. Purpose that the only thing you'll ever do is say truth. Now, that is not a license to be unkind. That's not what that's saying. Well, the pastor said speak the truth. You're, you're an ignoramus if you think that that's all I'm saying. I am saying be kind and loving and be thoughtful. We've already given the qualification of when and who should do that. But whenever we do speak the truth, I mean, whenever we do speak, let's make sure that it's only true with your neighbors. Why? For we are members one of another. Now, people whose lifestyle are like that are powerful influencers. If those around us are going to choose to follow Christ, then we must have a different lifestyle. Certainly different in our language, but also our lifestyle. But if our lifestyle is no different than the world's, why should they change? Just stay in the Word and keep serving Jesus, and it's amazing how our life changes. A man not long ago was telling me about when he first came to the church, he said, he laughed, he said, you remember some of those crazy things I told you? I laughed, I said, well, I don't remember them exactly, but yeah, that was some crazy stuff. He said, man, I can't believe I even told you those things. Things he used to think, you know, he laughed, he said, man, I thank the Lord for what he's done in my heart. He said, I can't even believe I believe those things. John the Beloved tells us what that's like. A good illustration in John chapter 11, verse 44, I think, about that wonderful temporary resurrection of Jesus' personal friend by the name of Lazarus. He had been dead in the grave for four days when Jesus and his disciples arrived at Bethany. He was well dead, to be sure. Jesus spoke the word, Lazarus, come forth, and he came out of the grave. Look what it says. And he that was dead, that's Lazarus, came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Interesting. Why didn't Jesus make him come out without that on? Well, I don't know. I mean, when Jesus resurrected, he left the grave clothes. Here, Lazarus comes forth wearing the grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. (laughs) That's a good sermon right there. Loose him and let him go. You're going to need to help Lazarus get free from that old dead stuff, that old stinky grave cloths that are around him. Take those grave cloths off of that man. That old dominion of death has no part in his future life. He is a new man. And I say this morning, we need to remove the grave cloths because the old life stinks. And I might say this morning, something is stinking in our nation as well. The average American lifestyle around us is absolutely incompatible with anything and everything that's biblical. In today's world, many have adopted what is so-called throwaway marriages. Hey, if it doesn't work, we just throw it away. It's been said that some couples get married as an ideal, then the ideal turns into an ordeal, and then they look for a new deal. There was a time in America when traditional families was the norm. 
a female mother took care of the home. A male father went off to work. The family ate males, meals together. <laughs> males together. <laughs> um, the family ate meals together. They went to church together. But we're told today now that divorce is actually normal. Those that are sociologists say that really having many mates is, frankly, in keeping with the animal kingdom. That's what they do. We're told that homosexuality and so-called transsexuality are just alternate lifestyles. The chief code in America's lifestyle is don't judge anybody. But I say this morning we must be spiritual influencers and we must be a model of biblical lifestyles. I love what Joe Alder said in his book, Lifestyle Evangelism. He said, Christians are to be the good news before they share the good news. St. Francis of Assisi said, always preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. <laughs> How important it is for us to be a good example in our language and in our lifestyle. Not only that, but in our love. Number three, in our love. Genuine, godly, real love is the oil that makes everything run. I mean, it, there is not one relationship, whether it be at the home or church or even at work, where genuine love isn't necessary. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you don't have your gray hairs yet, but you can make a powerful influence by having these spiritual qualities. I want you to be an example in these things, including... Your love. Notice the old English word in this passage in the King James Version, charity. It's a beautiful word. Unfortunately, today, and most people uh, first think of the word charity as giving to the poor. And in a sense, it is that because the word comes from the Greek word charis, which means to give. But I actually love the word. Uh, but to, for ease of understanding, we're using the word love this morning. It is, in the Greek, the word agape. You know that word. It is self-sacrificing, God-like love on behalf of others. One of the most powerful studies I've ever done in my life was 30-plus years ago when I felt a, a need to, uh, to for some study and some input on this matter of love. And I went through 1 Corinthians 13. All the books I had been reading, and certainly Hollywood, just left me empty. You say, you went through a study on love, Pastor? Yes, true. You say, well, you don't seem very loving to me. Well, imagine if I hadn't studied that, how bad I would be. That's what I can say. But in this passage, there are 16, 15, or 14 qualities, however you kind of want to break them up. I did 14. Now, we're going to go through those very quickly and... For those of you who are Sunday nighters, and by the way, just so you know, we do have a completely different worship time and service on Sunday night. You're invited to come, and you'll enjoy it. And uh, if you fall asleep, you just sleep good. We have no problem. I know some of you got to go to bed early, but um, we did this on a recent Sunday night, three weeks, uh, and we went through these 14 qualities. You can get that on the podcast. However... Um, over the years, I wordsmithed these to be something that would be, uh, we could really bite into. 
And so uh, we're going to go through those uh, real quickly. Now, it's hard to see those. Do we have that? Okay. Our very smart people said that if you'll take your phone, those of you who know how to do this, all you have to do is point it, go to the camera section, point it at the screen, and you'll see that QR code, and it'll come up on your phone. Uh, or you can go to the app and get it, or you can go to the website. Because it's kind of hard to see those up there. And I would say this, you need to have a copy of this printed somewhere visible. And I would also offer this, that if you would like, and by the way, I'm grateful for Jesse Sane, uh, one of our good men, who uh, asked us if we could make this on 11 by 17, kind of a big thing. And uh, he's displaying it prominently. And I would encourage you to have this in your room. <laughs> what I would not encourage you to do, wife, is when you feel like your husband's been unloving, give it to him. And, uh, or vice versa. Although uh, my wife got it and, you know, she's making sure she's going to give it to me. But uh, I don't mind that. I'm just kidding. Now, one dear missionary lady purposed to work on these qualities. And she purposed to do it this way. She said, I'm going to work on each quality one at a time until I can say, I am patient. I am kind. I am not jealous. I am not boastful. Because that's what this is all about. This is the most practical, pragmatic definition of real love that you'll ever see. So let me just read through these. I'll not be able to do a lot of comments. Love, number one, is patient. Suffereth long. Now, why in the world did God say the first quality of love is patience? That makes me mad. But anyway, love is patient. <laughs> That's why I needed this passage. Number two, love is kind. And you can't be mean, a junkyard dog, and be loving. Number three, it's not jealous, envieth not. Number four, is not boastful. That's just really vaunting on itself, not puffed up, thinking you're so much better than others. There's just too much of that. Is not rude. Number five, is not rude. Does not behave itself unseemly. And I will tell you, if there's any description of today's world, especially the Internet world, it is rude. The people are rude. It is, number six, not self-seeking. One of the most important things about love is that it is focused on others. Number seven is not irritable, not easily provoked. I mean, you shouldn't go from zero to 60 in one second just because some little thing didn't go your way. Number eight is not revengeful, thinketh no evil, doesn't plot how to get back. Number nine, does not rejoice in sin. Rejoice is not an iniquity. Some people just seem like they're almost happy other people fall. I don't know. Not very loving. Number 10 is happy when truth prevails. When churches prosper, and you enjoy that, when truth prospers, when you see righteousness done in a nation, and you're happy about that, you've got a, that's a check mark that you're a loving person. Number 11, covers sin. Love covers sins, bears all things. Number 12, puts up with slights and injuries. Believeth all things. Ah, they didn't mean it. They didn't. I don't hold them accountable. They, I, 
I believe all things. Number 13, roots for spiritual victory in others. Hope with all things. I'm just believing they're going to do better once they know better. And number 14, stands charitably in the face of incredible opposition. Isn't it interesting how God started with patience and ended with endures all things. There is nothing that love can endure. Nothing. In the book Love God, Love People, author James Moore tells about a man named George. George had a big heart, wonderful sense of humor. He was very well respected everywhere, especially at the hospital where he worked. The reason so many people loved George was because he was always kind and respectful, loving, as we might say, to everyone. George's children clearly remember the days he spent in the hospital as a patient before his death. George called his children around his bed. He said, let me show you something I carry in my pocket all the time. He said, it makes no difference whether I'm working or what I'm doing mowing the lawn. He said, I always have this in my pocket. He pulled out a little pocket-sized cross. And on that cross... On one side was written, God loves you. And on the other, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he told them. He said, when I feel that cross in my pocket, when I look at it occasionally, he said, it reminds me of just how deeply God loves me. And the back is always a reminder of how deeply God wants me to always love others. I keep it in my pocket to remember, God wants me to love people. The six commands for influencers, watch your language, watch your lifestyle, watch your love. And number four, watch your liveliness in spirit, God said. Pneuma is the Greek word there, air or breath. Be in the spirit and under the power of the Holy Spirit in the state of godly inspiration. Do you have spiritual power in your life? Do you have spiritual power in your ministry? Do you feel spiritually powerful in prayer and relationships? The great apostle John talked about it in 1 John chapter 2. He called it unction. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. And ye have the unction from the Holy One. And you know all things and you have the Spirit from the Holy One and you have knowledge. My friends, there are too many dead Christians in the world today. Just dead. I mean, spiritually. I mean, there are living, but man, just deadheads. I don't think you have to be high-jumping pews to be a a good Christian, but uh, you need to have a lively faith. We need some unction for our function. Peter was very concerned about that. And in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope. A lively hope. Would you say that your faith is lively? Man, I'm telling you what, I'm just so excited about the Lord. I'm excited about what I read this morning. I'm excited about the answers to prayer. I'm excited about this opportunity to witness, serve the Lord. Lively. The fact of the matter is, too many Christians are deadly. I mean, many churches today, you could ice skate right down the center aisle. It's like there's a polar bear in the pulpit. Well, I know I like it cold, but in the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, I love it. The Apostle Paul said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. There you go. That pretty much sums it up. I was in the Spirit. That means I'm lively in 
I'm just on fire for the Lord. And notice when that happened in on the Lord's day. You know, sometimes our dear worship leaders, I've heard them over the years, typically not here, but I've heard them say something like, come on, everybody, get your praise on. Nothing wrong with that. But I will say, much better to say, bring your praise to church. If you are alive and just full of the Holy Spirit before you come, then you just bring it here and you shouldn't have to have a, you know, a 200 volt dead charge to get you up and going on Sunday. I mean, bring your lively faith with you. A Christian should be a man or woman who not only has the form, but the force of their character from walking with God. You say, how do I get lively? Two great steps to the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, to those that ask. How much more, in Luke eleven thirteen? how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Do you ask? Now, the fact of the matter is, the moment you get saved, you are instantly placed into Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you never lose Him. He always lives within you. So when, you, when you're asking the Holy Spirit um, to become in, what you're saying is, I'm wanting your power, I'm wanting your strength, I'm wanting your help. That's what it's meaning. And by the way, the tense of that verb there is asking and asking and asking. It's not a one-time, oh, there was a day when I got hit with a bolt of lightning and I've never been the same. Well, that's good, but we're supposed to be asking and asking. Folks, we should be asking constantly. I mean, and not just for things that you count spiritual, but... I need Holy Spirit. I need your help as I deal with my family. I need your help as I go to work today. Those that ask. Number two, those that obey. Friends, you cannot, you cannot ignore the book that the Holy Spirit wrote, the Holy Scripture, and think that somehow you're just going to be filled with this dynamite power. If you do, that's just emotionalism. Godly and bold Peter said it this way when he was talking to those fake denominational muckety-mucks in Acts chapter 5, verse 32. He said the Holy Spirit is given to those that obey Him. If you want to be filled and have a lively hope, you've got to be a voracious lover and reader of Scripture and a one who does the Word of God. Someone once said, though every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. Wisely said. Number five, Fifth command for influencer is watch your loyalty. Oh, the beauty of a tried and true friend. Notice what it says. Let no man despise thy youth. Be an example in faith. Faith really could be translated as faithfulness or trustworthiness, fidelity, unswerving commitment, consistency, loyalty. If you want to be an influencer for God, you can't be up one day and down the next. You can't be up one day and out, back and forth, in and out. Be solid. Too many Christians today remind me of the old Broadway musical. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm blue. My disposition depends on you. Sometimes I love you, sometimes I hate you. That's how I am, so what can I do? How different from what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, when he said, 
Brethren, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The thing that separates people who succeed and don't succeed as influencers and those who fail as consistency. Long-term people who hang in there consistently serving Christ. Not just for a few hours or a few weeks or a few months or even a few years, but decades. Thank God for people in this church who have for decades been serving Christ. There's always flash in the pan people, but faithful, never ever deviating people like Paul. Absolute faithfulness. You knew that a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, ten years from now, he's going to be the same. That's what Paul mentioned. One of his friends named Epaphras in Colossians 1 and verse 7. This guy was Mr. Faithful. You might as well just name him Faithful because that's his name. That's his character. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Faithfulness, loyalty. Reformer John Wesley once said this. He said, give me a hundred faithful men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shape the world for Christ. Faithful people. There is one final commandment for those who want to influence, and that is to watch your lust. That is that our morals speak very loudly. Purity is the word that Paul uses here. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example in purity. When our heart intentions are pure, your behavior will be pure. And that includes being biblical in our sexual lives. Now, the minute a minister, a pastor, especially an evangelical pastor, mentions the word purity, you can be sure that the left, the liberal left, the media, has done a great job in misrepresenting what the Bible means. False portrayals like Hadmaiden's Tale. Immediately, the vision of Hulu's special, based on Margaret Atwood's 1985 novel, a dystopian view of U.S. ruled by a cruel religious regime. You've seen the picture of those ladies dressed with their little red hats and so forth. Completely warping the people's view of what real God is and what the Bible is. It is nothing more than a liberal hit job. In that little tale, Handmaid's Tale, because of environmental pollution, there you go, because of supposedly environmental pollution has rendered most women infertile, that these handmaids are forced to bear children. An obvious reference to the Old Testament where Rachel forced her handmaid to bear a child. This is done for upper-class couples, religious bigots. It's interesting, the police are called guardians of the faith. You'd say, well, is there anything biblical about that uh, handmaiden's uh, special? Nothing. Absolutely 100% garbage. But unfortunately, more and more people swallow it. And those who paint Christians as extreme love to talk about it. We are told that America is going through a moral revolution. We are told that the ideas found in the Word of God about purity are oppressive and repressive and archaic. But the result is that our young people are being sucked down into swirling sewers of sin. Our homes are coming part of the seams. Women are marrying women. 
Men are marrying men. I even read about a woman who married herself. Crazy. We are seeing the killing of un, millions of unborn children. In our state, a 13-year-old girl can walk into any pharmacy, get an, get an abortion kill pill without any parent, but she cannot get a Tylenol. It is time, past time. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that America came back to the biblical definition of purity. And what has caused the situation to such a great demise? Quickly, let me suggest four ways. Number one, the attitude of parents. The attitude of parents. Parents refusing to be the parent. Letting their child do whatever they want. It is vital that we establish loving and strict guidelines. Those two terms there are the most powerful terms in parenting and child rearing. Loving, strict. Strict, loving. They go together. Number two, the failure of liberal clergy. Preachers who no longer are preaching the Word of God. It used to be preachers would stand up and say, this is what the Bible says. And now they're saying, this is what science says, or this is what my denomination says. Who gives a hoot what the denomination says? The third thing, the influence of a corrupted media. I will tell you, friends, the media is depraved almost to the core. And companies like Disney are now systematically and on purpose trying to seduce our children. And number four, the weakness of godless education. They say, oh, we can't teach the Bible in school because that's religion. Strange, those same ones teach humanism all day long, established as an actual religion. The results are there's no standards of right. There are no standards of wrong. In our state schools, our children being taught they have descended from animals. Is it any wonder that our populace acts like animals anymore? Look, when God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, is God being cruel or archaic or old school? No. When God said that, He was saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt your children. Don't hurt your your." children to come. Don't hurt them. That's what adultery does. When God says, thou shalt, He's simply saying, help yourself to happiness. These commandments we're talking about, those aren't to be something that makes us feel um, judged. They're to make us feel happy as we get God's Spirit to do those. Pastor, you say, your message this morning is good, but it's too late for me. My heart has already been broken and already failed in this area. Listen to this little illustration as I close, and they shed some light. In Scotland, there were some men sitting around drinking some tea at an inn. They were discussing ideas and swapping fishing stories, as men like to do. One man with a flamboyant gesture of the hand Describing one of his fishing trips, knocked the other man's hand, and the teacup went out of his hand and against the wall. It made an ugly brown stain upon the white plastered wall in that English inn. 
He was horrified. But there was a man there in that end who said, Hey, guys, never you mind. Watch. And he went over to that unsightly brown stain on the wall. He opened his case that he had, and he took out some pencils and some crayons, and he started to sketch, drawing around that stain a form that didn't seem to make any sense at all. Suddenly, there emerged a beautiful stag with all of his antlers spread. And the man in that inn who did that was Sir Edwin Landseer, England's foremost painter of animals. And he there with his creative genius was able to make that old stain into something beautiful. And I want to tell you this morning, that's exactly what Jesus can do. Even better, He is the ultimate artist. He can take a life stained by sin and His transforming power. He can take His brush stroke and make something beautiful of our life. If we will give Him the pieces of a broken heart, He will heal a broken marriage and He will heal and cleanse a life. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. What a Savior Jesus is. And this morning... May God help us to purpose to be influencers for Christ. Our heads are bowed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.